Well, we are all waiting, aren't we? We're all waiting for the masks to come off. We're waiting for the vaccine to be put out to the country. We're waiting for restaurants to open. Waiting for travel to free up. Waiting for the ability maybe to go overseas and do vacations that we've put on hold. We are waiting, waiting, waiting for this to be over. And we've seen in the last few weeks that Advent is a season of waiting. Abraham and Sarah waiting for a child. Israel waiting for a Messiah and the prophets talking about a king to come. Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting for a son. Zechariah waiting to be able to speak again. Mary waiting for Jesus to be born. But you might say to me, Advent is over. Waiting is done. Christmas has come. Jesus is here. Arrival is here. I am done waiting. I've been waiting for nine months to take off this stupid mask. I've been waiting nine months for things to get back to normal. I am done waiting. Can it just be back to normal? Can't we just arrive? I have a question this morning for us. When will we have arrived? Will arrival come when we're sitting down in a restaurant and it's full and people are around and we're eating and not even thinking about a pandemic? Will arrival come when grandkids are reunited with grandparents? Will arrival come when Lambeau Field is full of spectators? Maybe you don't think about the pandemic, but maybe you think about other things. Maybe a rival will come to my life when I finally get the job that I've wanted. When I'm finally retired. When I finally have a baby. Or maybe when this physical pain in my body is gone. Maybe when I'm finally on my vacation. Or I have a grandchild. Or my kids get their act together. That's when I will have officially arrived. Are our eyes open? Do we have ears to hear when actually arrival comes? Or when it does come, we'll not even see it. Or even when it's here, we'll ignore it. We're going to see through four characters this morning what arrival looks like and how they are able to see it and hear it and proclaim it. So let's look together in a story that many times is neglected around Christmas time. Characters that seem to get left out of the Christmas story that should be in it. So let's look together. Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. Let's follow together, shall we? And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, 
and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer, um, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Well, here we have Mary and Joseph, and this is about 40 days after Jesus' birth. And they are fulfilling what is written in the law of what they should do when a son is born. One, they fulfilled it earlier, um, eight days after the birth of the circumcision. And now they've come back to, to the temple now for purification. Purification for Mary after her birth. And they're able to sacrifice. You can see uh, turtle doves or two young pigeons. And also part of the ceremonial law is that they would present their firstborn to the Lord. But there is actually a further step they took that is also part of the ceremonial law that some sons would be dedicated to the Lord's service. Like Samson or Samuel, this is the ritual that they're participating in. They're dedicating Jesus to the Lord's service. I'm going to argue this morning that Mary and Joseph's obedience was a way that they showed that they had arrived. That their actual obedience allowed them to see the arrival of God's glory and salvation. Specifically through two characters, Simeon and Anna. You know, I find it very interesting. It's very hard for people to feel contentment or arrival in our culture. Part of the reason of that is, is there is kind of a paralysis that we have by so many choices that are laid out before us. I face this paralysis every single week when I go to Woodman's. When I sit in the cheese aisle, I wonder which one should I get? 
When I go and check out what toothpaste I should have, I am overwhelmed. Now take that to a greater level. How about when we think about what school I should go to? What career should I choose? What relationship should I pursue? Should I do X? Should I do Y? There's so many choices on my fingertips. What should I do? And then you add God on top of that, a higher power, and then it just becomes kind of reading the tea leaves, right? Oh, maybe there was a sign there that God was telling me to do X. Or I felt this sensation here that I should do this. Or maybe he kind of spoke to me in the wind that I should now become a carpenter. You know? And many of us, we spend the majority of our time thinking and processing these kind of big choices when we don't realize that our ability to have the choices that we have is really a modern phenomenon, a 21st century, 20th century phenomenon. Do you think Joseph had a choice whether he would marry Mary or not? No, that was probably arranged for him. Do you think the majority of people through history got to choose what career they wanted to have? Who they wanted to marry? Where they wanted to live? I think sometimes as Americans we fail to realize that the majority of the world does not get to choose their careers. Does that mean they haven't arrived? Does that mean they don't have a calling? Does that mean they can't be satisfied in life or find peace? I love Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Deuteronomy 20.29 reveals a, a theological terminology that we, many, many of us use in the church. God's decretive will versus God's preceptive will. His decretive will is that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The idea that it is things of how the world is going to play out when we are going to die. Things, who's going to be chosen, who's the elect and who's not. These are things that we do not know, but he does. He knows the future. He knows these things that we do not know, and it is for his perfect plan. And in that, whether we choose to go to cosmetology school or be a plumber, he can still work his will. Just because we've made one choice or another doesn't mean we're therefore outside of God's decretive will. He can use those things for his purposes. Now, hear me. Some choices are wiser than others. I'm not saying we should just throw caution to the wind and do whatever we dang well please. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we spend way too much time worrying about things we cannot control. Versus actually following through with the things that we know he has called us to do. His perceptive will. 
preceptive will, preceptive will, is this. It's what he's laid out to us in Scripture that we are to do. The Ten Commandments. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That is clear as mud. Right? It's clear in this sense that me loving my wife is something I've called to do. That I can be performing every single day. Think about Mary and Joseph and all the anxiety that might come with the idea that we are raising the Son of God. What should we do? Where should we go? But here they are faithful in what they are called to do. To present their son in the temple to the Lord. And in that, they can arrive in God's blessing as others come alongside them and encourage them in following through with what they were called to do. So what I'm trying to encourage us to, to say this morning is, arrival simply is obeying what is before us versus always worrying about what we cannot control. I set that up there to transition to many of us in situations where we are, where we feel like life is not clear. Where many of us are on this other end where we feel like, I don't know if I will ever arrive. I feel like life has passed me by. I feel as if I don't know if I can ever find peace and joy in the situations that have been given to me. And if that's how you feel this morning, maybe you sometimes feel, I want to give you encouragement because the story of Simeon and Anna that comes in the Christmas story that is many times forgotten should give you much peace and hope. Let's start with Simeon, shall we? Let's imagine Max and Kelsey go to their week-long checkup with John Elijah. And they are walking through St. Elizabeth Hospital. And all of a sudden, a random doctor comes up to them and says, I can die in peace now. I have seen your son. He will make the world right Everything will be good. He will be a light to the nations. Could you imagine what uh, Max and Kelsey might think of that? They'd be like, whoa, this guy's crazy. Or we have a pretty amazing child. You know, usually the parents, obviously it's an amazing child. Maybe that's too amazing. But think about this with um, Mary and Joseph. What does it say? They were marveled at what was said about their son. Now, Mary and Joseph, they might say, well, well, marveling, that's great. But Mary and Joseph have both seen angels, right? Um, Mary has gone through a virgin birth. Um, they had shepherds come to them because angels came to them. They had lots to, like, go, we've seen some crazy things. But this was crazy for them, too. That Simeon would say this about their son. They even marveled at that. Why did they marvel so much about that? 
Here is Simeon, a righteous and devout man. And he says, I can now die. Life is complete because God has shown me his salvation to all, even to the Gentiles. Obviously, Simeon, it says the Holy Spirit was working through him. By the power of the Spirit, he was able to see through Jesus, a baby, born to humble parents who all they could sacrifice was pigeons or doves, meaning they were very poor. Simeon was able to see through this humble situation, by the power of the Spirit, that God was working. And he exclaimed some mighty things about the arrival of this kind of child. What would this child do? Well, one, he says, Mary, he'll, he'll, what? he'll do that, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is the idea that it's not just simply a, a, like a pin or a little um, knife. No, this is a two-edged broadsword. And the idea that Simeon is getting here is that Jesus will be able to divide where people are at. He's able to find out people's hearts and what they are after. We use that often, the word heart, here in our church. We use it a lot because it's used in Scripture a lot. But heart means this. It means your will, your passion, your desires, what drives you. What you are really after. And here what Simeon is saying is that Jesus will reveal people's hearts. And what they are really after. And some people it will show them they are after the wrong thing. And will cause division. And some people it will drive them to salvation. This is profound, that this righteous man can find a rival, salvation, in a humble baby. That he would find it in this, in Jesus. And he expounds on this kind of idea that our salvation, if we take Jesus and look through his whole life, that our arrival, all of our arrivals, our world's arrival would be found in one that was what? Rejected? That our arrival would be found in someone that was abandoned, who died young, who died with no money to his name. And that is the picture of arrival, of salvation. If I told you that you could have arrival in those kind of humble places, you would say, I haven't arrived anywhere. How dare you say that? There's not arrival if I'm laid off from a job, if a relationship ends, if I'm stuck in a dead-end situation. I have not arrived anywhere. What if through this story of Simeon looking at this child and then ultimately looking at the life of Christ, 
God is showing us completion even in brokenness and humility in this world. Even at being at the bottom. That's who he says will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for, to your people Israel. That is who he will be. And it makes sense that that message will be a broadsword cutting our culture. Of what some people think a rival is and what we as Christians think a rival is. I was reminded because last week Benjamin and Hannah, or Benjamin just played it. Maybe you noticed it. Uh, he played Gabriel's oboe um, during communion. A beautiful piece. It comes from the movie The Mission. The Mission is a, is a movie about a true story about 18th century um, Jesuit missionaries in South America. And what it follows is uh, a character played by Robert De Niro, um, who was a soldier, a mercenary actually. He was hired to um, basically enslave um, the indigenous people of South America, captured them and enslaved them. And he was put in jail because he murdered someone, one of these indigenous people. And one of the priests who was a missionary to these indigenous people went to minister to this character. And, and through their conversations, this man um, came to faith in Christ. And he was able to be freed if he would serve with, in the mission. So part of his penance was he took all his armor, a lot of it weighed very, very heavy, and he, they put it in like a bag. It was tied to a rope. And he carried this to the mission. Now it's in the mountains of South America where these tribal people lived. And so here he is climbing hills and mountains to get to these people and Climbing the edge of a water, waterfall. You have to see the movie. It's pretty. And he climbs on top and gets to the top there. And there the indigenous people are. Seeing the man that enslaved some of their people. And killed one of their people. And this tribesman comes with a knife. And you expect him to slit this man's throat. But these people have come to Christ. And instead, he takes the knife and he cuts the rope of all that burden and all that past and all that soldiering and all that mercenary work, all the things that this character found his value in. And then you see the tribesman pick up the bag and throw it off the cliff. And you see Robert De Niro weep in finding freedom and peace, finally. That was a rival. My question is, if, if some of you are still carrying those things, 
You are carrying those burdens and those pasts or maybe ideas of what a rival is or success is or what your parents said that you should be or what your kids think you should be or what your siblings think you should be. I don't know what it is. And instead, Christ comes with a broadsword and he pierces our hearts and he says, there is a rival with me and there is freedom. Cut that stuff away. And he has. We think Simeon waited a long time. You see him waiting for the Lord to come. Think about how hard it would have been for this next character. I love God's word. It just doesn't give us one story that's hard that we don't believe. Oh, great, Simeon, sure. He gives us a picture of Anna. Here is a woman that was married for seven years, and then her husband died, so she has spent decades being a widow. No kids, not getting remarried, suffering probably for decades over this. And she is a woman that waits in the temple, fasting in the temple. We might wonder, why would you spend all this time in the temple in this time? Well, I think it's because that's where God speaks, and she wants to hear from the Lord. And her fasting isn't the sense of, I want to deny everything, but her fasting is that one day God will come to feed her hunger. That she is longing for God to come and fulfill her. Even in all these decades of suffering. I'll be honest. This does not seem like a good strategy of trying to get things to come faster. Okay? Waiting in the temple and fasting would not be the strategy I would take on if I wanted my life to change. I mean, in the modern world, if we want things to change, we can get it done at our fingertips. Anna, I'm sorry, you didn't have Match.com back then. We do. It could just be like that. I can find someone. If I'm sitting around for a ride, why sit and wait? I can get an Uber. If I'm bored, what do I do? Just pull out my phone. I can play games on my phone. I can read an article. Why wait for anything? I've arrived right here at my phone. Some of us might go to the other end, right? Um, in, in the modern world, we go to technology or other things to, to fulfill our needs. But back in the day, um, the way that we develop character is denial. If we deny ourselves, we can build character like patience and kindness and those things. We just deny things to do it. How many, anybody still have a flip phone? Flip phone people here? We had one person from last service. Yes, there he is. The flip phone guy, that's great. 
And some of us are going to react to what's going on in the 21st century by being Luddites. And that's okay, right? But the other extreme is to say, if I'll become a Stoic, that the answer to the problems is just denying myself. Just realizing this world does not have anything really good. I can just avoid these things and immediate satisfaction. It's about denial. Please hear me. Neither I can find satisfaction at my fingertips or stoicism are the Christian message. Neither of them are the message of the cross and neither of them are the message of Christianity. Anna fasted. Not so she could be like, oh, woe is me. Look at this woman who will always be a curmudgeon, who will always be sad, who will always be in the temple. No, she fasted so that one day she would be able to identify when the joy and arrival had come. Some of us sit in our Eeyore state for so long that when we actually have joy in front of us and we see the joy of Christ, we even deny that. But that is not the way of people of God. They see the way that he has worked. And they live in that. You know, this is how sometimes you can just end your message, right? If you've gone to churches enough, you, you realize this is kind of the message. Read your Bible more. Right? That's the application. Pray more. Fast. Be better. Do better. Right? That's the message. There's a reason we call prayer, reading the Bible, fasting, the means of grace. You do these things not as an end in themselves, but to point you to the joy of Christ. I pray, I read my Bible so that I can know of his arrival and his joy and I can live it out now. I'm not doing it for some intellectual exercise. I'm doing it to connect to the joy and the hope of Jesus in my unity with him. Here we are, nine months in. A lot of waiting in front of the computer, on, on Zoom, isolated in our homes, time to reflect. Could Christ be saying, your arrival isn't simply going to come when the masks come off, but that you can find peace and joy in me now? Arrival now. Why? Because I'm the one that will not simply get rid of the masks. But one day I will rid this world of all disease. When January 20th happens and a new president comes in. 
and we might have temporary political peace. Christ says, I'm not going to just give you temporary political peace, but I'm going to resolve all wars and all conflicts. A rival simply is going to come when the racial protests end, but a rival will come when I will bring healing among all the tribes and all the nations. Please hear this, and I'll end with this. We can arrive now in being united to the one who has brought salvation to the world. We might still ache in this world, but as Christians, we have become united with Christ in his hope and his peace. And now as Christians, we can work in the unity of the Spirit and with Christ to bring the kingdom to earth.